0: Hi, guys! Before we get started, I just want to tell you about a new nonprofit. Eyesight Stories is a nonprofit organization created with the aim to provide support and information for vision impaired and blind people. They created a YouTube channel and website where people with eyesight problems share their personal experience, providing both emotional support and practical advice for those who face these issues. When they interviewed vision-impaired people, they frequently mentioned understandable information and personal approach as two very important factors. It's the hope of eyesight stories that the stories they share will uncover options these people didn't know even existed, and give them strength to face their challenges. The project began in Eastern Europe in Latvia, but their aim is to gather information from across the world and make it available to everyone. They would like to provide professional voiceovers in English and other languages as well, so that the information and stories could be understood everywhere. The project could ultimately become a support platform for those people in immediate need of help. Vision-impaired people will participate on the project as employees to help with many of the tasks needed to achieve these goals. The project was started by two Latvian guys, and they've carried it as far as they could on their own despite financial limitations. But to reach out further and make the dream happen, they need your help. To support them, please visit their Indiegogo generosity page. Every bit of support will help them make the world better for those in need. Albert Fish is the oldest man to have ever been executed at Sing Sing. He was an admitted pedophile, murderer, sadomasochist, and cannibal. His three known victims were all children. Francis McDonald, eight years old. Billy Gaffney, 8 years old, and Grace Bud was 10 years old. He abducted the children, murdered them, then carved up their bodies for meat, which he then ate over several days. Fish was suspected of three other murders and admitted to as many as 100 sexual attacks on children. He was a particularly disturbing and unapologetic serial killer whose own children were not surprised when he was arrested. This is his story. Hamilton Howard Fish, later known as Albert, was born on May 19, 1870, to Randall and Ellen Fish. Randall was 75 years old, 45 years older than 30-year-old Ellen at the time of Hamilton's birth. Hamilton was the youngest of four living children. His siblings were Walter, Annie, and Edwin. He also had another older brother who died as a young child. His name was Albert. It was after this dead sibling that Hamilton took his common name, at 15. His family was plagued with mental illness, putting Albert at serious risk of mental problems himself. An uncle suffered from mania, his sister was diagnosed with a mental affliction, and one of his older brothers was confined to a mental hospital. Even his mother struggled with mental illness and suffered from visual hallucinations and several of his distant relatives were also afflicted with varying forms of mental illness. On October 16, 1875, when Albert was five years old, his father died of a massive heart attack. He was buried three days later. Shortly after, his mother, who was no longer able to provide for her children, put Albert into St. John's Orphanage. It was here that Albert would be exposed to sadistic treatment and abuse. He was regularly beaten, and soon discovered he liked physical pain. He even became sexually aroused when he was whipped. The other orphans teased him about the erections that resulted from his punishments. Five years after placing her son in the care of the orphanage, Ellen Fish landed a government job, and she was able to take her son back into her own care. But it was already too late for little Albert. He had discovered the delight of sadomasochism, and was set on a cruel path. By the age of 12, he began a homosexual relationship with a young telegraph boy. It was during this time that he also began practicing urolagnia and coprophagia, or deriving sexual pleasure at the thought or sight of urination and the practice of eating feces for sexual arousal. He also began visiting public bathhouses on the weekends, where he would spend hours watching other boys undress and watch themselves. In 1890, Fish relocated to New York City and began working as a male prostitute. He is reputed to have begun raping young boys at this time. The accusation was never officially confirmed, and he was never prosecuted for his pedophilia. He only stopped working as a prostitute when his mother arranged for his marriage with a woman nine years younger than himself in 1898. The couple had six children. Albert, Anna, Gertrude, Eugene, John, and Henry. Fish took his family responsibilities seriously and worked as a house painter. He later confessed that he continued to molest children during this time, though this confession was also never substantiated. Regardless of his responsibilities to his family, Fish was arrested in 1903 for embezzlement. He spent his prison sentence at Sing Sing, where he regularly had sex with other inmates. When he was released, he continued to maintain homosexual relationships outside of marriage. It was with one of these partners that Fish visited a waxworks museum. He was so fascinated with a display of a bisected penis that he developed an obsession with sexual mutilation. In 1910, Fish met 19-year-old Thomas Redden, and the two began having a sadomasochistic relationship. Ten days into the new relationship, Fish took Redden to an old farmhouse, where he tortured the young man. The ordeal lasted two weeks, and eventually culminated in Fish tying Redden up and cutting off half his penis. Fish had originally intended to kill his young lover, cut up the body, and take it home. But when he heard Redden's scream, and saw the look in his eyes, Fish decided the amount of hot water he would need to clean up all the blood would draw too much attention to himself. So. Rather than murdering the young man, Fish poured peroxide on the wound, wrapped it in a Vaseline-covered handkerchief, left the boy ten dollars and went home. Fish never heard from Redden again and never cared to find out what happened to him afterwards. That same year, Fish committed what is reported to have been his first official attack on a child. In Wilmington, Delaware, a boy named Thomas Bedden was assaulted. Fish was to be brought up on charges for the attack, but evaded arrest and remained at large. Back at home, things were far from idyllic. Fish's wife began having her own affair and left the marriage in January of 1917. She and her handyman lover moved in together for a short time, then returned to the family asking if they could live in the family home. Albert said his wife could move in, but her lover could not. She readily agreed and moved in. but. Her lover was eventually found hiding in the attic a few days later. The couple was thrown out of the house and Mrs. Fish was not seen by the family again. This would prove to be the final undoing of Albert Fish. He began having auditory hallucinations about this time. He once even wrapped himself up in an old carpet, claiming to be following John the Apostle's instructions. His sadomasochism worsened as well, and he began indulging in self-mutilation. This primarily took the form of inserting needles into his groin, paddling himself with nail-studded paddles, and even inserting lighter fluid-soaked cotton balls into his anus and setting them alight. Later, an x-ray would reveal 29 needles inserted and forgotten in Fish's groin. While he was never accused of physically abusing his children, he did encourage them to paddle him with the same nail-studded paddle he used on himself. And, he openly displayed a growing obsession with cannibalism. He took this new obsession so far as to eat raw meat at meal times, sometimes even serving it to his children. Though he was never officially divorced from his first wife, Fish would go on to marry three more times. Each of these marriages would fail in short order due to what the courts would go on to call Fish's unparalleled perversity. While his mental state was deteriorating, his impulse control was too. In 1910, Fish attacked and stabbed a mentally disabled boy about the age of six. He was targeted because of his disability. Fish felt that he would be safe attacking the mentally disabled and African Americans because he assumed they would not be missed. Many of his victims or intended victims would fit this profile. On July 24th, 1924, Fish came upon eight-year-old Beatrice Keel. She was playing alone on her parents' Staten Island farm. Fish came up to the girl with a smile on his face. He offered her money if she would come help him pick rhubarb in the neighboring field. Beatrice was happy to help and was about to leave with him when her mother came running. She chased Fish away and admonished her daughter for talking to strangers. Fish returned that night and was discovered by Hans Keel, Beatrice's father. Fish had been attempting to sleep in the barn, but was run off by Hans. Beatrice was lucky, as not all of the children who encountered Fish would be. During 1924 and onward, Fish suffered from psychosis. He thought God was commanding him to torture and sexually mutilate children. Another child that escaped just in time was Cyril Quinn. Cyril was being molested by Fish, but had not yet been tortured. One afternoon, Fish invited Cyril and a friend to his apartment for sandwiches. While Fish was in the kitchen, the boys were wrestling on the bed. Cyril and his friend dislodged the mattress and discovered Fish's instruments of hell, as he called them. Hidden under the bed and ready to taste the flesh of Cyril and his playmate were a knife, a handsaw, and a meat cleaver. The boys were so frightened that they ran out of the apartment and never returned again. On July fifteenth, 1924, Fish abducted and killed eight-year-old Francis McDonnell. The child was abducted from his front porch, assaulted, and strangled to death with his suspenders. Fish dumped the boy's body in the woods, near where a neighbor had seen him walking with an old man. On February 11th 1927, eight-year-old Billy Gaffney disappeared while playing with a friend outside their apartment building. Both boys had actually disappeared, and after the alarmed families found Billy's friend on the roof of the building, they asked where Billy had gone. The child was clearly frightened, and insisted that the boogeyman had taken Billy. Fish was later that day seen on a trolley, riding with a young boy who matched Billy's description. The boy was upset and crying, and Fish drew the attention of the trolley driver as he dragged the boy on and off the trolley as he cried for his mama. Mid-June 1928, Fish began corresponding with the Budd family. While posing as a farmer looking for working lads to help on the farm, Fish met with and agreed to take on 18-year-old Edmund Budd. Fish even went so far as to meet the family in their White Plains home. Fish had originally planned to take Edmund away from his family and murder him, but after meeting the family, including Edmund's 10-year-old sister Grace, his plans changed. Fish promised to hire Edmund and said he would send for him in a few days. Prior to his leaving town, he claimed to be visiting his sister who was celebrating her daughter's birthday. He invited young Grace, and her parents readily agreed to let her go with the kind older gentleman to his niece's birthday. Grace left that afternoon hand-in-hand hand with Albert Fish and was never seen again. He took Grace to an isolated cottage and left her in the yard to pick wild flowers. He went upstairs to a room and stripped naked. He then called to Grace through the window to come up to him. When the girl entered the room and was confronted with the nude and excited man, she screamed and attempted to flee. Belaying his age, Fish easily overcame the girl. She kicked and fought in desperation as Fish choked the life out of her. After Grace breathed her last, Fish cut into her body. He butchered her, cutting chunks of meat from her little body, He saved the pieces in paper and disposed of the remains in a hole on the property. The family were left wondering what happened to their child for years as the case remained unsolved. Fish even wrote a letter to the grieving parents seven years after the abduction. In it, he detailed how he killed Grace and cooked her into stews and roasts that he ate over the course of several days. It was the letter that would eventually lead detectives to the discovery of Fish and his atrocious murders. He had used stationery that had been left in a boarding house by an employee of a taxi service. Fish was found to have rented the room after the taxi driver who had left the stationery. After his arrest, a handwriting sample confirmed the letter written to the Bud family was in fact written by Fish himself. While in prison, Fish was visited by Billy Gaffney's mother who wanted to know what happened to her son. Fish described in great detail how he had taken Billy to an abandoned house where he stripped him and tied him up. He then left him overnight and returned the next day with a whip. He beat the child until blood ran down his legs. Fish claimed to then have cut off the child's nose and ears and cut his mouth wide through his cheeks. He also claimed to have gouged out the boy's eyes. After Billy was dead, Fish carved the meat from his body and dismembered him. He set aside the meat in paper and put the remains of Billy's body into potato sacks weighted down with stones, which he later threw into different ponds along the road going to North Beach. With his meat in hand, he went home to make roasts and stew that he ate over the course of a few days. Albert Fish was positively connected to at least 15 child homicides and suspected of over 100 sexual assaults. His trial for the murder of Grace Budd began on March 11, 1935, in White Plains, New York. His only defense was an insanity plea. The court ruled him sane and able to stand trial. After ten days, Albert Fish was found guilty of premeditated murder and sentenced to the electric chair. He was executed on January 16, 1936. He entered the death chamber at 11.06 p.m. and was pronounced dead, three minutes later. He is famously remembered as having his last words recorded as being that electrocution would be the supreme thrill of my life. That's it for this week. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode about Albert Fish. If you like the podcast, please subscribe and feel free to leave us a comment as it helps others find us more easily. Help spread the word by liking us on Facebook or following on Twitter and Tumblr. Also, be sure to check out our Patreon page, as every little bit helps. If you're looking for a new and interesting podcast to follow, I recommend Inward Empire. This podcast explores the role of ideas and ideology in American history, and how the surface of actions and events can be shaped by undercurrents of thought and belief. Inward Empire is an awesome podcast and very insightful way worth a listen. As always, if you have any questions, comments, or an idea for a podcast, please send us a message at info@brutalends.com. Until next time!